Welcome to the Landman Pivot Podcast. I'm your host and pivot coach, Ryan Fairbanks. I'm a registered professional landman with the American Association of Professional Landmen. During my 15 years as a petroleum landman, I've gained a passion for helping others level up their skill set and mindset so they can be ready for anything in our ever-changing industry. One of my favorite ways to do this is by introducing listeners to mentors and coaches like me who want to see you succeed. At the end of the interview, I'll tell you more about additional resources you can use to forge new connections and gain new skills to get you moving forward with confidence. My guest this week is Blake Adams. I was slow hitting record on this one, but I managed to catch Blake's answer when I asked him to tell us a little bit about himself. So let's dive in. I went to accounting school um, at West Texas A&M there in in Canyon. Um, I just, uh, I really loved the panhandle. I just didn't really want to leave. I was kind of Mm -hmm. a homebody and and just kind of wanted to stick around close to home for school. Also, I had cattle at the time. Um, I worked on ranches. I was a, I was a ranch hand. I was a cowboy. I trained horses, all that kind of stuff. And so I'd been on a lot of ranches and I didn't grow up around oil and gas. I was actually in one of the few parts of Texas that didn't have any oil and gas. Um, but then when I started kind of, you know, working on ranches a little bit more as I got a little bit older, I started going on some ranches, uh, north of Amarillo. That's all big gas country up there. And, uh, met an attorney that managed a big ranch and stuff like that. And, you know, we just started visiting and it was like, yeah, I'm an oil and gas attorney. I have two clients <laughs> and, uh, they were big clients, but um, he basically managed everything for these ranches from, you know, basically reading the leases, you know, going out measuring roads. And I mean, he was a very thorough guy. Um, so he, he kind of did a lot of landman slash attorney stuff. So it was kind of, there was a little bit of both that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always just thought that was really interesting. Um, I was like, man, it's like, he's, he's out the ranch, you know, he's, he's caring, you know, he's caring about the property, you know, he's, he's protecting the interest of the landowner and stuff like that. That's really cool. He's an attorney, and, but he's not stuck in an office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, this guy is going out, he's measuring pads, he's measuring roads. He's, you know, he's looking at pipelines, you know, this is really cool. Um, you know, but, it, it, you know, when it comes time, you know, he has the luxury of sitting in the air conditioning if he wants to, which in Texas, it's, 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 it's prime stuff. So, <laughs> so, um, um, so I just kind of got interested in that. And I finished uh, my accounting degree there at West Texas A&M in 2010. And while I was working on ranches and stuff like that, and I did some guide stuff in the mountains, you know, stuff you do when you're younger. Um, and uh, just went straight into law school down there at, uh, at Texas tech, uh, in the fall of 2010 and, you know, still just kind of hung on, just kind of looked around for jobs and, you know, focused on school and stuff. And I, I, I always ran cattle in there in some places. So I had a little bit of experience from like riding my own leases, you know, leasing property and stuff mm-hmm. like that, just for ranch usage and, you know, just plain old, just simple surface surface usage so i had a little bit of experience of just like you know trolling tax records figuring out who's paying the taxes on it of course i didn't know at the time until i you know kind of got a little bit in my first year of law school like well you know the title is what actually proves ownership you know property taxes just are just sort of de facto evidence of who has title you know and so um it was kind of cool how i sort of built that knowledge base over the years so whenever I finally uh, took a job 
working for a law firm around 2011. I think it was probably my second year of law school with a law firm. And I had a pretty solid understanding of, you know, the whole sort of the, 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 the country dynamic, but then also how to connect, you know, title together and stuff like that. And, you know, I got to go uh, do a little bit of stand up uh, work with the, with the attorney that had the firm, you know, writing title commitments and stuff like that. I never wrote Mm -hmm. any title commitments on my own for his, for his insurance company, but um, I would kind of shadow him, shadow him here and there and, uh, you know, figure out how to put the schedules together for, you know, uh, an insurance policy for a closing or something like that. And, you know, in that time, um, you know, there was obviously a, 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 huge amount of leasing going on in that part of the, of the Permian, which there were in a lot of places in the Permian in 2011. You know, a lot of it was just companies that there probably wasn't even any uh, proven production out there. They were just trying to grab whatever acreage they could that was anywhere remotely close to, you know, productive acreage out there. And so uh, I got to work firsthand with some guys. He would basically represent a lot of, you know, these, these landowners, they'd never done anything like that before. So naturally they just employed a law firm um, because they just, they didn't really know what they were getting into. Yeah. That's fun when you get into prospecting type, you know, wildcat play a little bit and get to work with landowners that don't know and you get to help them learn too. Yeah, exactly. Um, I derived a lot of enjoyment from that. Fortunately, the uh, the law firm with I, I I worked with they were they were pretty understanding, and the the land companies we worked with they were pretty you know it, it was pretty amicable for what we we put together, mm-hmm. and um, you know just did a lot of leasing, um, wrote a few leases basically from you know wrote lots of leases basically from scratch. So I did a, I did a lot of lease wow. writing. Um, for that, uh, for that law firm, you know, put together forms that he used for, you know, uh, years, um, after that. And so I was pretty, pretty proud of that to just kind of, um, go through start to finish, you know, on all this stuff. And I had a really great oil and gas law professor at Texas tech at the time. Um, he was a guy who actually, uh, had a PhD in, uh, in geology. And then he went back and got his law degree, and did a geologic, he did like a lot of geological surveys of Anwar and stuff like that. And super, super intelligent guy, probably, you know, I mean, he's right up there with the Ernest Smiths of the world uh, as far as oil and gas law. Oh yeah. And you mash those two together, law and geology, and you gotta be almost a savant to do that. Oh yeah. You're, you're just, you're, you're the man, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and great great professor and i was fortunate enough to have him uh his name's chris kulander um uh had him there at texas tech at the time um i think another school poached him away or something like that um but um he was a he was a great prof great guy to learn oil and gas law basics under and yeah just um i mean right out of school you know i mean there was a lot of things going on had a had a great uh had a great start with experience and stuff like that. And so I just had, you know, basically could go several different places after that and uh, ended up, uh, you know, throwing in with, uh, with Dawson, the smaller broker out of Fort Worth. I think they had an office of Fort Worth office of Midland at the time. I think they had kind of gotten big during the, uh, the, the big Barnett run in the late aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that's kind of where they sort of got their start, you know, basically where people were just leasing, you know, housing plots, you know, out there. I mean, they were grabbing everything they could because gas was just so ridiculous in that area in the late aughts. Um, I think I, I got that right. Maybe 2008, 2009 was that gas run around there in North Texas. Yeah. Um, I think that that sounds about right. And so, um, uh, after that, like, it was kind of interesting. I went straight into kind of helping them with some leasing and doing title stuff, um, around there. And the leasing stuff was really interesting because they were leasing a bunch of stuff close to where I live now. So it was Northern, not really Eagleford. It was kind of some old, old stuff around, um, Caldwell, Guadalupe, Gonzalez counties, not really Eagleford. I don't know if you would call it chalk. Um, but, uh, you know, doing some leasing, a lot of the, a lot of it was still surface people, you know, and stuff like that. Hadn't quite been, you know, chopped up quite as much as Permian stuff, but mm -hmm. it was, it was really interesting being able to connect with the landowners and stuff like that. Um, so I did that before I went out to the Permian and basically went full on title out there. And you know, I had a pretty good idea of just managing databases and stuff like that, you know, having an accounting degree and stuff like that. Um, so, um, uh, the broker put me in a managenic curative team. Um, and because I could, you know, produce a lot of documents and stuff like that. So that's what I ended up kind of going into. He, he was like, Hey, can, can you go manage this curative in these couple of counties here? And so that's what I ended up doing, um, for say about a year before I took a job, right. Title for a firm around San Antonio. The curative experience, what a good base for what you're doing now just you know hunting down people <laughs> tracking down yeah yeah no it, it's 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 great i mean i do it a lot in lending just to find out you know what kind of competing ucc1s are out there for this kind of asset you know if we're mm -hmm. gonna if we're gonna loan on this asset you know like well you gotta do the searches here you gotta search you know find this person and then obviously if we've got you know, a default or something like that, you know, being able to find those assets, find something to attach that to find something to, you know, to begin the collections process. Um, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen, you know, if you're in lending mm -hmm. at all. So, so, um, you know, you can do all your homework, but you know, you're still going to have some stuff go sideways every now and then. So, and it's great, you know, that, you know, we're, I've got that knowledge base to get out ahead of it and, you know, basically get 90% of the work done before we ever, you know, even think about filing a complaint or something like that to try to collect on it. And it, it definitely saves a lot on the legal fees. So, sure, um, um, I've saved, I've, I've saved us a lot of money on legal fees. I'm pretty sure. So, so you've gone through a lot of transitions from accounting to law, to land, to real estate. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I was a bit of a, a transient, unfortunately, in my <laughs> early part of my career. But I've I've been with AgEx for five years, so um, you know I've I've kind of settled down a little bit. But you know, got a nice nice mix of things uh, to start my career in my twenties and stuff like that. So, um, but uh, yeah, the curative stuff was really interesting. Um, just being able to and it was nice to go from curative to go straight into writing title because now as an attorney, when I write those requirements, I'm kind of, I understand sort of the constraints that that landman might be dealing with or, you know, what kind of in my head, 
you know, the conversation he's going to have to have with those people. Right. Like and how would we cure this? What would be needed? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where's it broken? Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to get an affidavit and non-pro, you know, this is, you know, this is probably the best party that's going to do it or, you know, anything like, well, you got to find this document or, um, you know, I've got to have an AOH for this person, something like that, you know, um, and, and just being able to just visit with them a little bit, like, and maybe not even write the requirement, maybe just, you know, if I, if I can manage it in the materials examined, you know, just say, Hey, I have a suspicion that you might've filed his will in the next County over. Um, and, you know, try to do it as nicely as possible. You know, I mean, there's, there's some great landmen out there, but we all, you know, we all might miss stuff or something like that. But sometimes if, if we thought it was a little bit cheaper, um, or just more beneficial for a client to just, Hey, you know, I, you know, I might've seen this in some titles somewhere over here. I think there might be a CC of the probate over in this County, you know, um, mm-hmm. just something like that. You know, you gain a lot of that, you know, if you stay around a, a range of counties enough, you kind of catch onto that. It was really cool to go from curative and then go back to writing title. Um, you know, and just have both those perspectives, both from the curative lane man and then also from the attorney writing the opinion. What are some of the challenges you faced in making those transitions? Um, I'd have to say like from going from a landman to going from a, to an attorney was just, you can think like a landman when you're doing an attorney, but that's not ultimately what your job is. You know, your job is to, to write a letter and give that institutional liability to that. You know, they don't necessarily pay for you to tell them how the zeros add up. They pay for the signature at the bottom of the page that says, I'm assuming the liability for saying, this is how these zeros add up. Take this to your bank. And Mm -hmm. it took me a while to really think, to really think through that. That's really what your responsibility is. Your responsibility is to, you know, identify the issues and give that basically disclaimer of liability and and think about who now technically it is a communication between a client and a, you know, an operator tech, you know, usually, but usually that operator is going to take it. They're going to take it to their CFO. They're going to take it to a bank or something like that. Like, Hey, do you have a title opinion on this property? I'm not loaning mm-hmm. you any money unless you have title written for the property. And so it took me a while to really understand like the dynamic of that and, you know, that's not something you really, you know, you're not really thinking about that as a layman, even a curative layman, you're not thinking about, you know, the, the liability that the law firm is assuming by rendering this opinion. And so that took me a while to sort of catch on to that and sort of not think like a layman, but think like somebody who is, you know, assuming liability and, you know, giving that institutional liability to that client. And so, yeah, I, I would do a little bit rabbit chasing, you know, when, when I was uh, writing title and that's not really what your job is. Um, and so I would, I would kind of get like, try to try to act like a landman when that really wasn't my job um, anymore. Um, I, you know, it was still technically right. It's just not really what, that's not what you're paid to do. Right. Um, like in the sense of you'd want to cure it or, put the pieces together. Yeah. I'd want to cure it. And, you know, that's not really what you do. You know, you've got landman for that. You don't even know how long it's going to take. So why Mm -hmm. should you even go into that? You know, you're there to identify the issues, you know, um, 
you know, parse out the, the potential liabilities and then give that give that information to the client to then do, go do something with it um, and advise them, you know, appropriately. And, you know, that's not really because you get into kind of some liability issues where you blur the line a little bit and you just kind of have to stay in your stay in your lane a little bit and, and you know, do do the liability part of it and not do the curative part of it. So that was kind of a challenge for me. Um, whenever I made that transition to writing title and doing sort of transactional oil and gas stuff. Um, yeah. So I have and, a question about that. How does that shake out when the attorney writes a title opinion, just cause I haven't really been involved in that side of it. When mm -hmm. the attorney writes a title opinion and makes requirements or recommendations on the title opinion, then it goes back mm -hmm. to the client and they have landmen that go chase the curative. But if the client ultimately says we're going to waive that curative requirement, then how does that affect the attorney accepting liability? Well, it's it all depends on how the stuff is written. There's usually some disclaimers in the first part of the opinion um, that say, you know, we're not going to assume liability for you to go beyond. You know, you basically give the give the requirement whether it's a, you need to find this document, this document, or you need to be aware that this case is out here that could basically make this piece of the title up for debate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the most important thing is that you identify all the issues and, and lay them out in front of the client. Now, if the client chooses to, I mean, it's just like, you know, if I have a criminal client and I say, hey, you know, you should not rob that store and they go and do it anyways, well, you know, you told them not to, you know, you told them what the law was. You told them it was a potentially, but, you know, are they going to put you in jail for, you know, for like, representing uh, No, because you're, yeah, no, because their I, yeah, I, I did my duty, which was, you know, identify the issues and advise the client accordingly. But, you know, at the end of the day, they make their own decisions. And, you know, there are some operators out there that, you know, I, as you and I both know, there's landmen out there, you know, probably you that, knows more oil and gas law than some many attorneys do. Um, it's not uncommon to find land in that are just that well-versed in oil and gas law. And so they may see a requirement from a, from a uh, oil and gas attorney and they're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really worried about the, you know, the adverse possession issues here. You know, I don't think they're going to file a trespass to a title or some other complaint like that. And so mm -hmm. they may just disregard it, which is fine. You know, but as an attorney, you know, your job is to protect, you know, uh, your firm and, and and basically just identify the issues. And then, you know, sometimes they have to make their own decisions as to, you know, what what risk they're willing to take. And so a lot of that is basically absolved in the preface of the title opinion, the first couple of pages of it. Um, if you ever read an opinion, I'm sure I'm sure you've done curative and stuff like that. If you yeah. if you catch the first few pages of it, um, usually there's some stuff in there. It's like, hey, this is limited to the materials examined. I'm going to describe to you the materials examined. We don't assume liability for anything other than the requirements that we give in here. Or you know, and if there is, say they do write a comment in there that's advisory only, and you know, they may not write a requirement, but they need you to know that it's there. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of that's just that there may be something out there, but the risk is very low. But, you know, as your attorney, I got to tell you that, you know, 
this is technically what you would call an issue under these title standards or whatever, but you know, I'm not going to stipulate any requirement on this or something like that, but you know, and so uh, to, to answer your question, most of it's just the stipulations that you put in the front part of the, of the opinion. Okay. So once you've informed the client, if they choose to disregard it and then later it blows up, then it's on the client and not on you. Exactly. Exactly. And, and we all, you know, we know operators that, you know, their risk tolerance is a little bit higher, you know, um, for whatever reason. I mean, it's no different than um, in the cattle industry, you know, guys that, you know, choose to not hedge or whatever, you know, I mean, they, they do it at their own risk. So mm -hmm. at, at, at some point we're, we're all big boys and girls and we make our own decisions. We've talked a little bit about the different skills that you develop, you know, doing accounting and law and land. Mm -hmm. um, what are the top maybe three or four skills through all of that that you've learned that you use today in what you're doing? The number one is just organizing information. Um, you know, the, I think the most important thing that you do when you do due diligence is make sure that you preface uh, how you're going to organize the information before you even begin to run title. Um, and that's the same thing, you know, if you're going to build a software product like I do now or analyze, you know, a potential borrower for a, a loan, we do some, we do some private lending as I mentioned previously. And so I think just having a rough plan, it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, it doesn't have to be clearly delineated, but you need to, you know, an ounce of prevention in thinking about, okay, I need to go find a patent first and then I need to start here or I need to start here and then I'm going to run these grantees and these grantors. And just organizing that information just saves you so much time in the long run. And I think, you know, just going through and just kind of stumbling through that uh, the first few years of the land career really helps in that, um, mm -hmm. you know, you just realize. And I think a lot of it's just, just maturity too. I think the the land um, doing land work really teaches you that because if you don't start out right, it gets in a mess in a hurry and oh, yeah. really hard to communicate to any third parties what's going on. And you know, you might have a crew chief, what's going on here, man? I, I can't follow this title, you know, and you know, and just just doing, you know, just setting things up uh beforehand before you, you know, really dig into things. Mm -hmm. Um I would say that uh, the second one is just uh, developing some communication skills, managing some expectations here and there. I think that's just a you know general maturity thing. Be really careful about t saying it's going to take X amount of hours or something like that. Right. Um, just shooting from the hip or something like that. You know, anything you can do to manage the expectations for the stakeholders around you will go a long way because you know those folks have. Uh, people to answer to too um and anything you can do to give some level of and i see this a lot in software development um it it definitely translates well over to software development um right how long is know, it going to take to write that piece of software yeah, <laughs> yeah and and you know it's really hard to give a straight answer on software because you don't know what kind of regressive issues are going to rear their heads Mm -hmm. um, whenever you do that. And so, you know, it's very important to kind of preface those things, uh, with your, your client. And, and I say client in the literal sense, such that, 
you know, in software, like, you know, a client could be, you know, the person right next to you, you know, somebody that you work with, but it just means like who the actual product is intended for. Mm-hmm. So like, if it's an internal software product, the client is, well, it's, it's the accountant over there, or it's the, it's the marketing people over there. That's the client, you know? And so. Right. Just being aware. Is it somebody internal? Is it an end user? What's the application yeah. for it? Yeah. And, um, uh, a third one is just kind of know your audience. Um, it goes along with that. You know, if you're putting together some, you know, some, some land work or something like that is just thinking through, you know, if I'm that in-house guy, you know, what do I want to see? And what am I thinking about, you know, whenever I get this land work? Um, and that, that really helped me kind of going through that transition from being a title attorney. I know that that's a very kind of rare circumstance that, you know, not, you know, very, very few landmen, I think, you know, well, go from that transition from being a title attorney and back and forth again. I know that's kind of mm-hmm. the exception, not really the rule, but, you know, that did give me a perspective on knowing the audience um, whenever you write some work or put together some curative or, um, you know, write, write out how a, a title opinion has been cured or something like that. It's just thinking through what that, okay, well, I'm putting together this, you know, this, this land sheet, what does this attorney want to see? You know, how does he want to see it? You know, is, is he going to pay attention to my notes? Is he going to disregard my notes? Is he going to, is he going to look at any sort of numbers that I put together? Does he, does he want to see delineate? I mean, little stuff like what, you know, did this come from the abstracts of judgment? Did this come from the OPRs? Did this come from, you know, a deed of trust line or something like that. And mm-hmm. just little things like that, that, you know, title attorneys can be picky about um, because, you know, their clients are paying a lot of money for their time and, you know, they want, you know, they want to optimize that as much as possible. Um, and so I would say just knowing your audience and just being empathetic towards the the end user of whatever product you're building, whether it's a run sheet or a software product. It's not always apparent, but, and it's kind of hard to do, but, you know, I think that's a really good lesson for people to learn is just build some basic empathy with whoever the end user is. Yeah, those are awesome. So there's a couple, organize your information, know how you're going to proceed in gathering it and communication and uh, know your audience. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Landman Pivot Podcast. I'm Ryan Fairbanks, RPL. Join us next time for part two of this conversation where you can learn more about the resources we have to offer. 